0: Hi, this is Jimmy Evans with Marriage Today. This podcast is dedicated to equipping families with the teaching and tools they need to succeed. We hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more marriage building content. I want to talk to you about the meaning of marriage. Now, if, if I came to you, most people, and I said to you, what does marriage mean? Most people cannot answer that question. Uh, in the eyes of the state... When you stand and you get married, what does that mean? You will know in just a few minutes the meaning of marriage and the importance of understanding what it means. Listen, how can you succeed if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish? And so we need to understand the meaning of marriage and what we're trying to accomplish, what God's trying to accomplish uh, in our marriage. How to experience lasting passion and intimacy. Marriage gets better every year when you do it right. When you do it wrong, it gets worse every year. And so again, you may have been married for a year or two or, or 18 and maybe the, the sizzle has gone out of your marriage. You can get it back. You can get it back in a very short period of time. We went from out smack out of love to in love in a few weeks when we began to, to change the way that we were married. But listen, listen to this other thing. I wanna talk to you about how to have a win-win relationship. In a, in a biblical marriage, there is no loser. If there's a loser in the relationship, it is not a biblically-based marriage, because God created marriage to be a win-win situation for men and women, and I wanna just talk to you about the power of marriage, and how it communicates God's love to our children, and that's what we need to do, is to show our children, how can our children succeed unless we show them how? And so we want to show them a godly marriage, and it's one of the most important things that we do. Now, Ephesians 5 is the most important text in the world concerning marriage. Nowhere in the world do you see a place where marriage is explained to us as explicitly as it is in Ephesians 5. And Paul says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. And really what he's saying is it was a great mystery until now, but he's saying, I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the Apostle Paul is saying, when you're married, God's way, the man is a Christ-like husband and the woman is a Holy Spirit-like wife. She's respecting her husband and he's sacrificially loving her and that's the way that it should be. Well, when Karen and I, we, we were wounding each other. But what happened when we began to understand God's plan for marriage is we stopped hurting each other and we started healing each other. Now listen, if... If marriage is supposed to be a picture of Jesus in the church, is Jesus our herder, or is Jesus our healer? Well, he's our healer. Is the Holy Spirit our herder, or is the Holy Spirit our healer? Well, he's our healer. And so, when you're married the wrong way, you wound each other. A lot of people flinch when they hear the word marriage. A lot of people don't want to be married because they've seen so much damage and so much wounding in marriage, to them, marriage is just a painful word. When Karen and I changed the way that we related to each other, we started healing each other. I mean, it's literally the opposite. You, you married your healer, and that's the reason, it's, a, it's a, a picture of Christ in the church. A good marriage is more attractive than you can possibly realize. We, we asked this question one day, and, and this, is, this is an interesting thing to ask. Who do you know that has a really great marriage? And a lot of people can never think of anyone in their life, in their family, or their circle of friends that had really great marriage. Let me tell you what that means. That means if you need help, you don't know where to go. But when you ask that question, who do you know that has a really great marriage? If you can answer that question, there's hope for your marriage because that's who you're going to go to. And when people around us began to see, and we're not special in any way, we almost divorced. It was the grace of God that kept, I was a divorce waiting for a place to happen. But when people began to see our marriage, it gave them hope. And they began to come to us and ask us questions. And, and again, it just kind of threw us off. But here's another thing that happened when our marriage changed. It changed the legacy for our children. Our, our parent, my, my mom and dad were married for 60, and I'm not saying this with any pride, I'm saying it with thankfulness. My mom and dad were married for 61 years when my dad died. Karen's mom and dad have now, now been married for 61 years. We've been married for 40 years. Our children have both been married for now over 10 years. How many of you want to leave a legacy of marriage for your children? And it's never too late. You may have been divorced two or three times. It's never too late. You can begin right now to leave. It's worth anything you give. That's what I'm trying to say. Anything that you would do to make marriage work. And so God has a plan for your marriage, it will be a win win deal. And you say, what does marriage mean? In the eyes of God, in the eyes of the state, what is it that hap- what what are we trying to accomplish when we stand in front of a preacher or or whoever and we're married? What is it? There are three there are three things that happen when we get married. Number one is financial unity. The state or the country for those of you who are in different countries. When you get married, what the state is saying is we now see you as one financially. You're one financial unit. Before, we saw you separately. You pay taxes separately, and if one of you died, you were not entitled to the other person's property. But now that you're married, we see you as one financially. The, the second thing is you're next of kin. Listen, you are now closer to them than you were to your parents. And the Bible says a man shall leave his father and mother, and by the way, God said that over Adam, and Adam didn't have a mother. Adam and Eve didn't have belly buttons. They were created first generation by God. And so God was saying marriage will not work unless you leave your mother and father, which just simply means reprioritize them, not to abuse them or anything. Just you know, reprioritize your mother and father and cleave unto your wife, okay? You've heard the saying that blood is thicker than water. And we hear that saying and it's kind of like if a fight breaks out, choose blood. you know, your, your blood kin, okay? Well, let me give you another way to think of this. Blood may be thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than blood. And Jesus said what God has joined together, let not man separate. When you get married, God joins you. When Adam saw Eve, God put him to sleep, took a rib out, created Eve, and he looked at Eve and said, this is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. And that's what happens when you get married. You are now family. You're more family than any family you've ever had. And again, this is extremely important thing to understand. The third element of marriage is sexual exclusivity. And what that means is is that we are now exclusive sexual partners. And by the way, sex is the only exclusive area of marriage. You spend money with other people, you talk with other people, you may pray with other people, worship with other people, interact with other people, but you shouldn't have sex with anybody else. It's one of the essential elements of a good marriage is sexual faithfulness. Okay, so let me talk for just a minute about these three areas. Finances, we are financial partners in everything each of us does, whether good or bad, affects the other. So now we're we're a partnership, we're a team. And we have to understand that we're trying to, people get married, and, and pe- by the way, people who are married are better off financially than people who aren't, uh, almost all the time. It's, marriage is the greatest wealth-producing entity on earth. Okay, but you have to do it right, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. We're next of kin, and what that means is I am primarily taking responsibility for you. You may have had other people, before we got married, you may have had mother-father, brother-sister, aunts, uncles, grandparents, someone else before this marriage was primarily responsible for you. But here's what I'm saying in marrying you. I am now, until we die, I am now primarily responsible for taking care of you. I am assuming that responsibility. And that's what this marriage means. We're family, you're bone of my bone. Number three, sexual exclusivity, which means we belong to each other, and I will be faithful to you, and I will be careful and accountable. And it also means I will fulfill your sexual needs. I am taking responsibility. Now, 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul, this is one of the most astounding scriptures in the Bible. The Apostle Paul says when you get married, you don't have authority over your own body. Your spouse does. Not for the sake of abuse, but for the sake of use. In other words, you can't use your body as a weapon. You can't withdraw sexually from your spouse to punish your spouse. They have a right of use of your body sexually when you get married. That's what marriage means. What does marriage mean? It means we're next of kin. We're financial partners, and we belong to each other sexually. And I will keep myself unto you alone sexually, and I will meet your needs. And your needs are not my needs. No no two people have exactly the same sexual needs. And to meet each other's sexual needs, it means you're meeting the need in another person that you don't necessarily have. And the timing is typically not the same. And so this is what marriage means. And, And so if you're gonna have a good marriage, the core has to be there. And the issue is it all has to be there. If any one of these begin to suffer, the marriage can suffer. In fact, it's an interesting thing. Do you realize that the three things I just mentioned, money, met needs, and sex, are the three reasons we get married and the three most powerful elements of marriage, and they're the three main reasons we divorce? The three main reasons that couples divorce are sexual problems, I'm not getting my needs met and money problems. But that's actually the reason that God made marriage. The power of marriage is remembering the core. What is it that we're trying to accomplish? Listen to me, you got married, whether you realize it or not, you got married so you could share your finances and have an economic blessing so you could meet each other's needs and be fulfilled in life, and so you could have a faithful sexual partner for the rest of your life and get your needs met. That's why you got married. That's 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 the prize of marriage, that's the goal line. But you have to have all three. And so let me talk about some of the challenges of this issue, of how to preserve the core, because it's what's gonna make a good marriage. Is let me talk about finances for just a minute. One of the biggest problems is prioritizing one. Over the other two, you have to have all three of them. Okay, and let me give you an example, is finances. Now one of the, the questions that we got from, from you guys is this is a question from a man and here's what he said. I finally have my dream job, but my wife says I work too much and I'm never at home. How can I convince her that I'm doing this for the good of our family? And look, this is a virtuous guy, I mean, he's working hard. I mean, he says I have my dream job, but my wife is complaining and she's saying, I'm at work all the time and, and I need to come home more. Okay, here's what he's done. He's chosen finances over met needs. And by the way, the number one reason for sexual dysfunction is stress and fatigue. People are just too tired. Let me, let me tell you a saying that you need to pray right down and remember. If the devil can't get in front of you and stop you, he'll get behind you and push you too fast. Because we weren't designed to live under stress. We just simply weren't, and it doesn't matter how much money you have. Let me me tell you, I know a lot of rich people have bad marriages, and I know a lot of people of very, very humble means that have great marriages. If you believe that money will solve all your problems, you're deceived, and by the way, here's what Jesus said. This is the parable of the sower in Mark chapter four. He said, these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. He's talking about a person producing fruit for God, and he's saying, These people, the seed among the thorns, he says, The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. The word cares there means anxious awareness, it means anxiety. It means you're just, you're just stressed out, you're going too fast. Here's another great scripture, Proverbs 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. The blessing of the Lord, you say, well, we wanna prosper. Great, I do too. Money's a a wonderful thing. But do you want it to cost you your children? Do you want it to cost you your health? It's foolish, it's foolish. When you make God first, you have God in your life, you have a great marriage and family, You, you have a purpose for living, and God blesses you with all these things. Karen's dad, when we married, he was traveling between Amarillo and Dallas. And he was in the process, he was an insurance salesman, he was in the process of starting a new insurance company and actually developing a new product for corporate businesses. And they had just gotten saved. When, when we got married, Karen, Karen's parents did not like me when we were dating. Uh, they weren't saved and I wasn't saved. They brought boys over to meet Karen while I was there. I was not their selection as a son-in-law. And we, we love each other today. But Karen's dad got saved about the time we got married. And he said to the Lord, you bless me and I'll give to your kingdom. And my father-in-law and mother-in-law, I, I, I can't even tell you how the Lord has blessed them. And, and I mean, but they have evangelized people all over the world. They serve the kingdom of God and their value system is not money. Their value system is God and family. And they have never allowed money, regardless of how much they had, to ever control them or to compromise their decision making. And we have seen God bless that. And so my prayer for you is every blessing that God would make you rich and add no sorrow to it, but it happens when you seek God first in his kingdom and don't let anything else come between it. So I'm saying don't choose money over your marriage. Don't choose money over being able to meet each other's needs. You may have less, but you'll have it in a more peaceful home. Okay. And that less won't be there for long because God's gonna bless you if you make good decisions. But the other thing is dominating any of those areas. It, the, marriage only works when you share it as a partnership. Now, I was dominant in our relationship. I dominated Karen. And so I was a very dominant husband. We had a horrible marriage as long as I was dominant. And, and the issue is there's, there's three kinds of differences in marriage, there are celebrated differences, tolerated differences, or rejected differences. And Your spouse, you're different, you're two halves of a whole. When you get married, you need your spouse's input to make a good decision. But when Karen and I married, I just thought she was weird. When she would say something, I'd roll my eyes, I'd call her stupid, and I'd try to dominate the areas of our family. But my wife, men have half the brain, women have half the brain, together we have the whole brain. And in order to have a good marriage, it means we celebrate our differences. Do you know that you naturally celebrate your differences when you marry each other? When you meet and fall in love? You celebrate, you celebrate your differences. You, you look at each other and you, know, you say something different, you do what you do and you celebrate it. You don't roll your eyes and say you're stupid. You never have gone out on a second date with someone who called you stupid on the first date. You're crazy, you're weird. You, get, you, got your, you need some hormone adjustment big time. Now, we celebrate each other. Well, you're smart. Well, you're you're interesting. Wow, you're deep. If your spouse has to pay a price for sharing their opinion in your marriage, you're dominating the relationship. If your spouse doesn't feel freedom to share how they feel about any area of the marriage without paying a price, you're dominating the relationship. A good marriage just simply means, we're gonna talk about money, we're gonna talk about the kids. We're gonna talk about how and where we worship. We're gonna talk about you know, our relationship and all those things until we agree. Great marriages, we agree. And so the core of marriage is we're financial partners and we're gonna agree on this, we're gonna have a plan. And we're gonna sit down and talk and pray and we're gonna agree, we're gonna meet each other's needs. And our needs are very different from one another. In my Marriage on the Rock seminar, I talk about that a lot but we're very different from each other, and so the needs that your spouse has are not your needs. And so, But when I married you, I took responsibility to meet your needs, and sex is an important part of our marriage, and so I'm reserving my sexuality for you alone, and I'm committed to meeting your sexual needs, and if I'm not, you have an open door to tell me, and I will not make you pay a price. I'm not gonna punish you, I'm not gonna withhold from you, and I'm saying to you, keep the core going. And when the devil attacks our marriages, typically what he'll do is he'll attack one of those areas. Let me go back to the question I said earlier about the guy that said, I finally have my dream job. Who cares if it's your dream job? It needs to be both of your dream jobs. If it busts your wife's dream, it's not your dream job. And for this guy, I completely understand what he's saying. He's trying to be a good provider. If what I'm doing violates you, I won't do it. And I'm gonna listen to what you're saying because our marriage isn't good until we're both saying it's good. It doesn't matter if the woman says it's a good marriage. It doesn't matter if a man says it's a good marriage. Do both of you say that? It's a win-win situation. So when you got married, regardless of you realize it or not, you became financial partners, you took responsibility as the closest family member that you have to care for each other in that regard and you swore sexual exclusivity to your spouse. Okay, that's what keeps the core going.
1: Hey there, we are Dave and Ashley Willis with Marriage Today, and today we're gonna talk about how we can leave a favorable legacy for our children through our marriage.
2: Yeah, and this is one of the most important things we will do with our marriage, is one of the best gifts you can give your kids is to model the kind of marriage that number one, makes them feel secure in the home, and number two, actually makes your children want to be married someday. Because a lot of times, kids will see a marriage in their parents that's kind of messed up, and they think, mm-hmm. if that's what marriage is, I don't want it. And that leads to this epidemic of, of young people not wanting to be married at all, just living together, just dating around, and missing out on the joy and the security and the legacy that God intends uh, through, through a marriage. And so, sweetie, how can we, through our marriage, um, create that kind of legacy in, in our home, the kind of home God wants us to have, and the kind of multi-generational impact God wants us to have because of our marriage?
1: I think one of the greatest ways you can do this is showing your kids how much you love and adore your spouse. And, you know, I think so many times as parents, we can just get in the grind to where, you know, you barely even look at each other because you're just getting kids in the car, taking them to school and to their activities. But our kids need to see us looking into each other's eyes and talking favorably about each other. I think one of the sweetest things they can see is us complimenting each other. And even when we're talking to our kids, saying, you know, your dad is so good at that. Your mom is so great at that. Look at all your mom does. Look at all your dad does. And, you know, they're so funny and they're so smart. I mean, just talking favorably about them, it shows your kids that you adore each other and that you actually like being married. You know, so many times they just hear their parents fighting. And, you know, it doesn't mean we can't have disagreements. I think it's also healthy for your kids to see you working through a disagreement in a healthy way. I mean, that's good because that's life. You're going to have times when you disagree. And so you know, when they see two parents respecting one another, but also disagreeing and working through that and talking through that, that just, it's great. It's, it's great and healthy for them to see that. And that will propel them to maybe want to get married one day themselves.
2: And that, that is great advice. You know, I hope you're paying attention. It's not only the words you say to your spouse, yes. the words you say about your spouse mm-hmm. matter. And I would even add to that, the tone of your words mm-hmm. is going to shape the tone of your home. And so, you've got to be very mindful and intentional about the tone you're using when you're speaking to your spouse. Yes, Is it a tone of kindness and compassion and tenderness and sweetness, or is there a, is there a harshness to it? Is there, is there a sharpness to it? Because your kids are going to pick up on that. And even yes. if the transcript of your words might not necessarily say anything that's disrespectful, the tone of your words is something your kids are going to pick up on and say, you know what, they don't seem to like each other. They don't seem right. to respect each other. And I want to challenge you you men for just a second, you fellow husbands and dads, you know, we're teaching our kids by how we treat our wives. And guys, by how you talk to your wife, you are teaching your sons how they should treat women, and you're teaching your daughters what they should expect from men in their life. It's so true. And so it's it's not only for the sake of your marriage, even though that's enough of a reason to be totally respectful to your spouse, like you're you're making this model for your kids that they're probably going to follow for good or for bad and we've we've just got to be so mindful of that
1: It's so true and in the same way as wives and if we have sons, you know we're tr- we're teaching our sons what to expect from women. I mean that we That's really right. are and yeah. how they should treat women. And, and how they treat us, and what we kind of accept as far as the treatment of us, and how they watch their dad, you know, treat their mom, and how their mom treats their dad, you know, they're they're going to form kind of their opinion about how a wife should treat a husband. And so it's so important, you know. I think we also we just need to really think about the affection we give each other. I know so many parents that will hug and kiss their kids all day long, and they'll give their kids a foot rub, and they'll pat their kids on the back, but they'll never touch their spouse. And it might be that they're in a cold season, but we need to yeah. think about that. I mean, what does that tell our kids? That tells them right. that we're not close.
2: If you give your dog much more affection than you give your spouse, so then there yes. might be something off right. in, in the dynamic of the marriage. It's and so just great. being intentional about those things and saying, you know, we've we've gotten out of the habit of holding hands. We've gotten yes. out of the habit of putting an arm around each other or just showing that that playful affection and flirtation. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Let your kids see it. Don't be afraid to gross out your kids a little bit. When my middle school son rolls his eyes at us because I'm like, you know, hugging his mom and and kissing on his mom in the kitchen and he kind of rolls his eyes, but then he smirks. It's like, I know he's a little bit grossed out, but I also know that he's saying someday, someday I'd like to have that.
1: That's so true. You know, we'd love to continue this conversation with you. So please join us at marriagetoday.com. We'll see you next time.
0: We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and we want to let you know about another marriage podcast with Dave and Ashley Willis called Naked Marriage where they talk about real and raw marriage topics like sex, communication, openness, and more in a fun, lighthearted atmosphere. Search for Naked Marriage with Dave and Ashley Willis in iTunes and start listening today.